This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. The Christian Missionary Alliance is really a neat family to be a part of. Um, and one of the reasons for that is just how active our churches are on the international scene in bringing the gospel to places that have had little or no access to it. Uh, we, we do things a little bit differently than other uh, groupings of churches, denominations, associations in how we get our workers onto the scene we have something that's called the Great Commission Fund that all 2,000 Alliance churches in the United States uh, contribute to. So when we give to this missions fund, we're actually funding 700 plus workers all around the world so that they can be freed up to spend their full-time uh, concentration, their work, their energy uh, in ministry in these various places. Um, we have a missions corner right by the fireplace out there today that we're trying to use to bring some attention to this with, uh, with Dr. Meyer here today. And uh, at that, in that corner, there's a card that says, Why Give? I would encourage you to stop by there. At the very least, pick up a card. On the back, it explains what happens when we give to missions. Um, it's an exciting thing to be a part of. Having grown up in the Alliance, uh, being a pastor's kid, we were always hosting missionaries in our home, and uh, it was very cool to be able to hear and see uh, firsthand what, what God is doing through so many different people that many of us have never met, but yet we support, and uh, that's a cool thing to be a part of. Well, we're excited to have with us uh, Dr. Tim Meyer. Uh, Dr. Meyer is the director of Envision, which is one of the four major departments, arms of missions in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Yesterday I asked uh, Tim what the elevator pitch would be for Envision, and he said Envision is all about identifying and developing the next wave of missionaries. And so you're going to hear a little bit about that today. The bread and butter of Envision really is things like short-term missions trips, internships, residencies, leadership training, those kinds of things. Dr. Meyer has been married to his wife, Rachel, for 15 years, right? They have two boys, and they reside in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. So would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Tim Meyer? It's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, it's been a good morning so far. Thanks for your hospitality. Uh, I've known of this church for at least eight or nine years, uh, maybe a little bit more, but my first intersection uh, with this church was actually when my wife and I were missionaries in France and going through, at that time, what was the darkest season of our lives. Uh, we've had some hard times since, but uh, at that time, it was really rough. It was personally difficult, ministry-wise was not going well. We had not been uh, too, uh, we'd been, you know, struggling through French language and all those kind of things, and we came to this field forum, and this couple came to speak to us. Some of you might know them. Uh, Pastor Bill and Pamela, um, who happened to be at this church for a couple of years. And some of you are new and you're like, who are they? But uh, 
Bill came and spoke to us, and it was the first time we had heard really teaching in English in like two years, and our souls were parched, and we were drinking it up. And so uh, Pastor Bill and Pamela really had a huge impact on our lives and on our missionary career, I will say. That was a turning point week for us. Rachel and I have talked about it a lot. And that was my first exposure to uh, Mequon, Wisconsin, and to Alliance Bible Church was through that. And then we have uh, since had good relationships uh, with different folks in your church who came to France, and uh, many of you know that partnership. We've been now in Colorado for almost five years as a part of Envision, and that's been a fun journey. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Envision today. My hope today really is to do two things, is to expose you again to ring the bell for what the Alliance is doing, but maybe more importantly, to point us in the direction of why we do missions in general. Like, what is this all about? Why would we even care about this? Why would Pastor Brian ask you to give some of your money to that? Like was mentioned, we have two kids, Blaine and Jude. Blaine's 11, Jude is seven. They're very different human beings. Uh, Our firstborn is kind of the typical type A pleaser, everything in a box, uh, advanced math, sports, everything, you know, everything is very black and white for him. And Jude uh, really likes to eat and watch YouTube. (laughs) Um, Jude loves parties. Um, He's more of our artist. Uh, He's in community theater. Uh, Just told me he had the second greatest day of his life this past week when he went to one of the high schools, uh, did a musical, and uh, just absolutely loved it. I said, what was your first day? He goes, obviously, we went to Universal Studios, Dad. I was like, okay, obviously. (laughs) A couple of years ago, Blaine, after we had returned from France, uh, Blaine, you know, was the kind of kid who always raised his hand to accept Jesus. In every Sunday school class, every service, some of you are like that. Like, I just want to make sure it takes, right? Uh, Because Blaine was very receptive and sensitive. But then it internalized for him, and he made that jump in his mind that other people need to know. He knew why we were missionaries in France. He knew why dad's a pastor and those kind of things. So he began to evangelize his little brother. This was a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, it started at like family devotions or at dinner time. He would say, hey, Jude, are you going to accept Jesus tonight? And Jude would say, no, I am not. And so this went on over and over, mostly because Jude's just rebellious, right? And Blaine, you know, started ramping up the pressure a little bit. So one night he goes, hey, hey Jude, do you want to accept Jesus? Jude said, no. He goes, fine. If you want to be separated from mom and dad for the rest of eternity, that's up to you. Jude's like, I'll take my chances, okay? <laughs> so, so Blaine you know, he's feeling more and more pressure to try to get his brother converted. He knows about uh, heaven and hell and all those things. And one night at dinner, you know, Blaine has volunteered to pray every night for years. And Jude actually says, hey, I'll, I'll pray. So Rachel and I look at each other like, finally, we're breaking through, right? And Jude says, but I don't know what words to say, mom, so tell me what to say. So she starts saying, you know, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. And there's a pause in the prayer. And I kid you not, Blaine throws in, Jesus, come in my heart. And Jude has just been repeating over the whole time, goes, Jesus, come in my heart. Blaine goes, done, we got him. Right in the middle of the prayer. (laughs) Jude's like, wait, I don't know what I said. He goes, you said the words. I heard you say them. You're in. Now, here's the thing. I'm not here to teach you how to trick people to become Christians. 
or some scheme of evangelistic trickery. But it is interesting for Blaine, who's a kid, it's black and white, but it is interesting for him that there's not a long leap between if Jesus has changed everything for me and he cared about me, then why wouldn't I care especially with the people closest to me. If Jesus changes everything, why wouldn't I want everyone to be changed by that person? For a kid, it's, it, it, it's not a long leap. As we get older, we begin to doubt about people around us. People for us become categories or projects or things to avoid. But the reality is missions and the missionary heart of God is pretty simple. Very difficult to live out, but pretty simple in, in its philosophy. I want to talk to you about the secondary purpose today. I'm going to give uh, just a brief word about what is the whole point of missions. What's the whole point of this? Well, the point really is the worship of God. As we worship God, we want others to become worshipers. We want to give God glory. That's kind of a Piper, John Piper kind of quote. The, the point of all missions is worship, right? So this essentially is about a person, Jesus. The more we care about Jesus, the more we want his glory to be known, and the more we want him to receive, and we just sang those songs, that he would be worthy, that all would cry out, uh, hallelujah. And so we f start with missions, not with some like program, but we start with a person, Jesus, I will say this, where worship is struggling, missions really struggles. Because it's very difficult to align your heart with what God wants if your heart is not worshiping uh, the one who has called you, right? But the more worship is, and the more deep life is happening, and the more the Spirit's breaking through, the more missionary activity spur pops up, because it's the natural kind of thing. But after worship, because obviously we're not just going to stay in this worship space all week. After we walk out of here, we have lives to lead and jobs to get to and other things to attend to. And so as we leave the place, missions then becomes about people. Starts with a person, then it's about people. Missions is not about a denomination or even about like some responsibility that we feel like we need to have. Missions is essentially a love story of God and people. But we have a tendency at times, especially in our current reality in the American church, to lose the plot, to forget the point. When we look around, it's easy to keep people at arm's length and to forget that actually God sees human beings created in his image as his goal. He wants to reconcile and redeem all people all over the world. And some of those people have less of a chance than others. We call that the disparity of access to the gospel. Basically, it means some people have a better shot of hearing about Jesus than others. So really, we're talking about two things. We're talking about mission, a life of mission. When Jesus redeems us, we join a life change movement. It doesn't just stop with us. He didn't just save you for you. He saved you for him and for the world. And so as we do that, we live a life of mission. But then we care about missionary activity because some people have little to no chance of hearing the gospel. When we were missionaries in France, even in a place like that, I never met a Christian in five years outside of a church service, ever, accidentally, 
Okay, never ran into another Christian. And I talked to a lot of different people because less than 1% of the population was following Jesus. There's just less access. But in France, there's more access than some places in North Central Asia or in North Africa where there aren't even the vestiges of Christianity. There aren't even the old cathedrals. There's nothing there. And so part of what God does in us when he draws us to himself is to care about a life of mission and missions, that missionary activity. The problem is people are super annoying (laughs) and difficult. And it takes a ton of work to actually love your neighbor. It's easy, I think, to figure out how to carve out time to pray every day. It is not easy to pray for people that I cannot stand, that God would bless them. That is not easy. But all of what Jesus did seems so countercultural even today because the people that he saw and that he ministered to were not the kind of people that always jump into our minds as the people we would like to evangelize too. Have you thought about the people that Jesus hung out with intentionally? Like just start with the disciples. If you were building a movement, would you choose people who are gonna deny you on the most important day of history? Probably not. Jesus essentially chooses a bunch of high school and early college age guys. I know the culture's different, but the reality is those are the people he is choosing to give to uh, the, ho- the future hope of the church. Here you go, Peter, tax collector, zealots, knucklehead brothers, all this kind of stuff that can't get out of each other's way, are always debating about who's more important to Jesus are always figuring out ways to mess it up, frankly. Fearful group of people, and yet Jesus sees them differently than we do. The way we would nominate people, or you know, the NFL draft is this week, the, the first draft pick on the board might not have been Peter for us, and yet Jesus, he sees people differently. But it's not just the disciples, because we know most of them, most of them, turn out all right, with a notable exception. But the other people that Jesus hangs out with outside of the disciples are even more troubling to us, really, when we really think about it. All kinds of people that don't fit in weird categories. And I'm going to tell you three of the, very briefly, three of those stories today. We're not going to read all the scriptures, just as an example of the kinds of people Jesus saw that we might not see. Somebody like Zacchaeus. Do you remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? You learned about him in Sunday school. Um, You know, our kids, I have a video of my kid who's like 18 months old singing, you know, it was a wee little man, a wee, I'm like, not that wee little. (laughs) Zacchaeus climbs up in this tree to see what Jesus was all about, but Zacchaeus was a traitor to his people. He was selling them out, literally, and stealing from them. He aligns with the political power that is highly offensive for his own personal gain. This guy is not a good human being. And he is interested in Jesus. We don't know for what purpose. The scripture doesn't say, but he, he's, he's kind of interested in what's all, uh, he's heard the stories. He climbs on the tree, and I just want to note, about two-thirds of the way down, Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurries down. He receives him joyfully. And then, and, you know, scripture is great because Uh, It's intentionally written here that Zacchaeus received him joyfully, but then when all the other people that you would expect to receive Jesus joyfully do what? 
They grumble. And they say stuff like, what is he doing going to that guy's house? You know, if Zacchaeus was just a different kind of political party, it'd be one thing, but he was directly offensive to people. He was doing things that the people felt like were violating and threatening their way of life. And he was selling out God in the process. And Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, I want to come hang out with you today. Now notice in the next slide that Jesus doesn't say, now here's the first step, change what you're doing. Jesus just hangs out with Zacchaeus and unprompted by the Spirit's presence in Jesus, Zacchaeus goes, I'm going to give half my stuff back and I'm going to change the way I'm living. And Jesus says, today salvation's come to this house. He's not too far gone, still son of Abraham. And then Jesus gives a, a life vision mission statement for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Elsewhere, Jesus says things like, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for those who are sick and needed a doctor. Jesus' purpose in hanging out with Zacchaeus was simple. He came to seek people exactly like Zacchaeus. And he's modeling for the disciples and welcoming them into a life change movement that is targeting people that don't fit the right categories like Zacchaeus. Why does Jesus approach him? Probably because Zacchaeus, this is the closest he's going to get to the religion kind of stuff right now, is climbing up in the tree. He's probably not welcome at the synagogue. He's directly offensive to other people. And Jesus says, I'm going to meet him on his terms, and I'm going to welcome him into this journey and Zacchaeus ends up having his whole life changed. Let me just say this really quickly. I think there are times in, currently in America, that is very divided and pretty angry with each other. And some of it's for good reason, right? But I wonder sometimes if we are willing to sacrifice our witness in order to prove a point or to be right, politically or other reasons. I, I do wonder sometimes if our, even as simple as our Facebook posts, aren't helping us reach the lost, but might, maybe are creating obstacles at times. I don't know, maybe not. But Jesus didn't come to convince Zacchaeus necessarily about Rome's evil. He came to convince Zacchaeus that there was a different narrative altogether. There was a different way to look at the world. And Zacchaeus then, life was changed. So anything that would disqualify our witness needs at least be reexamined or at least looked at hard because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not to win certain other earthly things. Let me tell you just very briefly about what the Alliance is doing uh, around the world. Uh, the Alliance, you can go to the next slide, uh, really does things, and Pastor Brian mentioned this, in four ways. We have four what we call specializations in Alliance missions, and all of the 700 workers fall in one of these categories. Alliance fields and teams are doing sort of church planting work. We have Kama services, which is doing relief and development work, coming into crisis situations, doing local sustainability, clean water, justice, all those kind of things, while seeing the church go forward. Marketplace Ministries is for those who are business people, who start a business or transfer into a business around the world. We have almost 240 of those people around the world. And then Envision. Uh, the next slide, because I'm going to unpack Envision in a minute. Um, here are some key values uh, that rep represent those specializations. 
I do want to highlight that last sentence down there. Nothing is more sustainable than the church. Why is that? The reason nothing is more sustainable than the church is because Jesus sustains the church. It's his bride. The church is not a human institution. This church does not belong to the elders or to the pastoral staff. This church belongs to Jesus. And that's why Jesus sustains the church. Expressions of the church may come and go. Certain churches close or reopen or those kind of things. But the church globally is Jesus's. That's why there's nothing more sustainable than the church. And nothing else done in Jesus' name is sustainable without the church. In other words, you can do a lot of good things, but if the church doesn't express itself somehow in a house church or some kind of way, then we might just be doing humanitarian work, hoping for the best. And that's the Alliance's conviction as we do mission work around the world. Next slide, please. So the concept here is that gospel access needs to be created outside. In other words, somebody needs to tell you about Jesus from the outside. It's very difficult to just come up with the Bible without somebody handing you the Bible. Now, it might sound like a joke, but it's reality. That's why this is answering the gospel access question. If a a certain country has 100 Christians in it, the chances of them hearing are going to be needed to go up from the outside. And as that place gets healthy and churches are planted, then networks of churches are sustained, and then they send their own missionaries. So we have this story being written all over the place. We have countries like Vietnam and Democratic Republic of Congo and Gabon and, and um, uh, the Philippines and others who have as many or more churches in their countries as we do in this country and who are sending their own missionaries around the world. And that's when we know as a a U.S. Alliance church, it's okay to kind of step aside and say this strategy of mission work needs to change here. That's just a little educational piece, okay? Next one. So this is how Envision fits. Envision, really, our specialization is to identify and develop missional leaders, both for a mission lifestyle here in the U.S. and around the world. We do want to see the next wave of missionaries launched out. So we have about 2,000 to 3,000 people who go every year on short-term trips in a group to one of our 22 locations. We have a couple hundred interns who sign up for a month to a year or two years, and, uh, and people who sign up for residencies as well, a two-year more intense program. I also do want to mention a new initiative that we started called Give Back for people who are mid-career or retirees. I spoke to a number of them after the first service uh, who said, look, I'm about to be free and clear, and I'm not done. I want to go do something. And so we started having conversations about those things. Guys like uh, Dennis from California last year, widower a couple years ago actually, and signed up to go to Iraq. He was a successful businessman, went to join our team in Kurdistan for for two years, had great ministry there. So there, there are those opportunities. Next slide, please. Here are some of the places that Envision specifically does ministry. And I could tell you lots of stories uh, about those places, but for lack of time... um, Uh, We're really excited about uh, all these different places that uh, God is doing things. And then the next slide is in the U.S. And you can find out way more information, by the way, if you're interested individually or taking a group or something at weareenvision.com. So that's our our website. Uh, So these are places, one of them is really close to you, Chicago, and we're doing stuff uh, with difficult people in difficult places at times uh, around the U.S. as well. Next slide, please. So I mentioned this, 
The trips is the seven to 10 days, internships, six weeks to a year, residencies are two years. Next slide. So just in the next few minutes, we're gonna very briefly look at these last two characters as examples of people who, by the way, show up in all kinds of contexts around the world. People like Zacchaeus show up in many contexts. Outcasts, offensive kind of people, so do Nicodemuses. People like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you remember this story, comes to Jesus at night and he wants to find out more about what Jesus is teaching. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher. Pharisees, when we study scripture, get a really bad rap and Jesus is hard on them. The reason Jesus is hard on them because they're the closest thing to getting it right, but they're just missing it. Jesus is harder on them because they're the ones who are devout, but they're devouring the scripture without seeing the real purpose. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I think it's cool that Jesus meets him where he's at. Jesus says, okay, you're you're embarrassed. Let's talk at night. Now he's a little hard on him when he talks to him. Like this is the best we've got as Israel's teacher. You don't even get these things. But what Jesus offers to Nicodemus is life within a religious system. Jesus isn't saying throw away the Torah. Jesus is saying, I'm here to fulfill it. And we have people all over the world who are stuck in religious systems who are very good people. I know a lot of wonderful people who are in twisted religious systems that are taking and taking and taking and not giving life. And our opportunity as Christians is to go to to people, even if they need to meet us at night and say, I know that, that it seems like this religious system is offering you life, but it's not. Only in Jesus do we have life. And the kind of life that Jesus offers is true freedom and true experiencing what it means to be alive now and forever. So when young Muslim students show up to our um, Envision site in Paris for the Alpha course or for the English conversations, they come in hungry for God. It's just that they've never heard the gospel of Jesus articulated because they're stuck in a religious system. And there are people practicing forms of Christianity who are not following Jesus in this country and all over the world. And we have an opportunity to intersect, not with judgment and criticism, but to say, hey, did you know that you're this close? But the secret here is not figuring out more and and trying harder. The secret here is letting Jesus bring you in, and I know you talk about this a lot here, to a true place of rest with him and living in that place of freedom and rest. And that's what Jesus offers to Nicodemus. It's been interesting for us to see the interns who come from America and go serve around the world, how Jesus lights them up as part of their mission trip experience. It's interesting. So last year in Guinea, West Africa, difficult place to do ministry, we had two interns at the same time, same age, different kinds of people. Joe was this all-star Moody Bible Institute, student body chaplain, graduating, and as a senior year internship goes to Guinea with Envision, okay? He was a missionary kid, so he already knew the language, and he went in there very confident. A couple of months in, because he's been mentored and developed, Joe looks at our site leader, Stephen Albright, and says, I don't think that I'm doing this for any of the right reasons. I've known Jesus, I follow Jesus, but at the core of me, I've been doing this for me, and I'm stuck. And he had this flag that he had from MK School where all these people wrote, like, Joe, you're amazing on it. And he went and he took it out in the courtyard in Guinea, and he had a funeral service for the flag. He buried it and said, I want to die to myself and be alive to Christ. That's some biblical imagery. 
And then at the same time, a kid named Braden, who said the right stuff in the interview and had been going to church, but a couple of months into his internship, he looked at Stephen and said, not only am I doing this for the wrong reason, maybe, I don't think I'm a Christian. He said, I don't think I've ever actually given my heart fully to Jesus and let him do deep work in me. That's where I feel like I don't, I'm disconnected. And so Stephen took him out and baptized him in a Ghanaian river. So this kid that went there to minister to people and share the gospel actually became a Christian through his experience. In Luke chapter 10, when the disciples come back and they're all excited after their first mission trip, and they're like, you wouldn't believe it, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus looks at them and says, don't just rejoice in your success. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And a secret is there that many times when we begin to live on mission, we figure out why we're on the planet. When we start caring for people the way Jesus cares for them in our local community here in Milwaukee and beyond around the world, we start understanding who we are and and figuring out, man, I don't know if my priorities are right. I'm thankful to be a part of this story. Here's the last character, is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture, and it's the woman at the well. Just to jog your memory about this, the woman at the well is this lady who is an outcast of society. She comes to draw water in the middle of the day because she's not accepted in the other times of the day. We find out from the text that part of the reason she's discredited is she's been married multiple times and the guy she's living with currently is not her husband. We don't know if she's been divorced or if she's been widowed or what, but the reality is she is on the outside. She's not on the inside. And now instead of Jesus going to the Samaritan council of leaders and saying, hey, we're going to do a religious merger here between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. We're going to make this right. We've had a long sordid history. Jesus chooses to go talk to this one woman who has no status on the outside. And he says to her all kinds of things about her life. And he says to her that he's the Messiah. And he says, you've been drawing this water that's not satisfying. I have water that will satisfy you for eternity. And then an interesting thing happens at the end, and this happens a lot with Jesus. Instead of him then going on into the region, he takes off and she becomes the missionary ambassador. This woman who is a woman, number one, with no status as a woman and as an outside disgraced woman. And she says, hey, you gotta come meet this guy. He told me all about myself and he had no business. I think he's the Messiah. I tell you this story because there are a lot of people who we feel like are too far gone. There are people who just don't even cross our radar, who we feel uncomfortable being around. The disciples are whispering about Jesus behind his back when he goes and talks to her. And I wanna first of all say this, to some of us who our children are not living for the Lord or we have close family members or friends who have rejected and who are are walking away right now, that no one is outside Jesus's vision, no one. No one can discredit themselves enough that Jesus can't reach them. He goes to people, so I wanna encourage you not to give up, first of all. But then, to many of us who, who think about these people not as someone who we give up on, but we just wanna avoid, Jesus goes intentionally in their way. He doesn't care what people say about him. He's here to seek and save that which was lost. And those are the kind of people that he's calling us to all over the world. Here's the last story. There was a young woman in Syria who came into contact with the Christian faith because of Christian believers there in that country. They 
reached out to her and she came to a, a, an initial understanding of who Jesus was, having grown up in um, Islam and she was interested. Because of the war, she had to leave the country like so many have in Syria. Very, very difficult situation. Obviously, we know that. She lands in Egypt as her next step. And in Egypt, she meets other Christians who introduce her to the life-changing power of Jesus. And she takes another step in the journey. And then because of instability in her status, she and her family move to another North African country where one of our workers lives and works with Marketplace Ministries. And we actually have other workers there from our other specializations. Our Marketplace Ministry worker was doing cooking classes and met this young woman and could tell that there was a desire for faith and even some openness to Jesus. But she hadn't yet crossed that line to give herself uh, to Christ. And one night, our worker had a dream. And she had a dream that she was down in a prison, uh, down in this like basement of a prison, and she had keys. And she was going cell to cell to unlock the keys to set the Syrian women free. And she obviously, when she woke up, made a correlation to this woman that she was um, working with. But she thought, I didn't think when I came to this country that I'd be working with Syrian women, but maybe that's why God brought me here in the first place. This young woman a few days later said, I need you to pray for me because I'm having a really hard time with my fear of what it would mean to really commit to Jesus. I want God to help me, but I'm really struggling. She said, the only time that something really, I felt peace was the other night I had this dream that I was in this prison cell and someone like you had these keys and they were going cell by cell and they set me free. And if I would come out, I would be free. And our worker explained that she wasn't the one who could set her free, but that she did know the person who could and that Jesus was there offering her freedom. And this gal finally relented. A few months later, as a refugee status, she left the country again. She lands in Canada. And she writes to our worker and says, I've been going to a church in Canada. Have you ever heard of the Christian and Missionary Alliance? And so, you know, our, our workers in many of these places aren't broadcasting who they're working with. Um, and she said, yeah, actually I have. <laughs> she said, I'm going to the first ever Alliance Church. It's called First Alliance Church, which there's a lot of First Alliance Church. It's like this First Baptist and First everything, First Presbyterian, you know? And, and actually, the funny part was, that actually was the first church that our founder, A.B. Simpson, started in Canada. Um, so that's kind of remarkable. She said, I want to ask you two more things this young Syrian woman. She said, does this symbol show up on every building that the Alliance does stuff? She said, well, not every building, but yeah, that is our denominational symbol, with the cross and the laver and the crown. And uh, she said, well, that's really weird. Because she said, those Christians that I met in Syria, the building that they took me to had that symbol on it. And the people that I met in Egypt, they had that logo on their building." And she still hadn't put two and two together that our worker had been sent from the Alliance uh, US. She said, and now I'm in this church here. But none of those people had communicated to each other. God was just holding her hand, taking her place to place. She said, I want to ask you a second thing. Who was the guy who started this? And our worker explained it was A.B. Simpson in the 1900s. She goes, this is really weird, but I had kind of this dream about this guy in the 19th century who was praying that there would be like arrows of light shot all around the world, that the gospel would go to places without access. And he was praying for places like Damascus, where I'm from. She said, I feel like that guy was praying for me then. Now I tell you that story for maybe some obvious reasons, 
which is that this is God's story. God is doing this all over the world. He's drawing people like that in bizarre ways. And most of the time when we turn on the news, all we are is depressed and afraid. And God isn't bothered by media yelling at each other. God is doing his thing and he's inviting us in. I also tell you that because the Alliance is a cool family to be a part of. God has chosen a lot of different denominations and movements. It so happens we're a part of this one. And it's pretty cool that when you give to the Great Commission Fund, you're actually giving to stories like this gal because it goes to places like Syria and Egypt and other places around the world. That's cool. I also tell you this because it took willing people to be evidence and witness to this young gal in Syria, in Egypt, all over the place where she intersected. So God's story was drawing her in, but it took faithful believers to sit down with her and take the time and not think, well, the Syrian refugee, I'm not gonna spend time with this person or, who, or whatever, and said, I'm gonna be faithful here in, in this place. And so I wanna speak very directly. Some of you in this room, God is calling for your life to go to places where there's least reached access kind of people. Some of you high school students or college students, God's been stirring that in you, and he's calling you to say yes, to take a next step. For all of us in the room, he's calling us to see people differently, to see those who we live with here in this surrounding community differently, and to care about those people around the world. So that involves financial commitments and sending and relinquishing control and taking risks and joining him because he saw us as people while we were still sinners, he died for us and he welcomes us in, not just for us, but to join his life change movement. Let me pray for you. God, this morning, I'm thankful for a good church, for people who love you, and I can tell that there's energy and excitement in this room, and that's a really good thing. And so I pray that you would add to that the work that you're already doing and call people specifically to respond today. God, there are some people in this room who get nervous when missionary kind of people come in because they know. <laughs> So I pray you just gently encourage those people today to take another step that you've got this, that this is your story. I pray that you would help us to see people as you see them, not in categories or labels, but as individuals made in the image of, of God. God, I, maybe it's just an encouragement that we've been welcomed into this family, that we like Lazarus and the woman at the well and others who might have been on the outside or had disqualified ourselves that you've reached into us and welcomed us in. And I'm so thankful again to be a part of your kingdom. So I pray that you would encourage us with that today. Stir up what you want to stir up and let us be courageous to respond to you. In Jesus' name.